in just a moment, you'll be listening to a message that was given by Pastor Kyle Olsfeld of Grace Baptist Church in Pampa, Texas. We encourage you to give attention to the message and to follow along in your Bible. I want to share a story that I'm sure I have touched on and dealt with in the past. And as we make our way through this, just be patient as I've asked you to be in the past and and see if there's something in this that you can relate to and identify with. But several years ago, Susie and I decided that we were going to remodel our master bathroom. The reason for that is because the tile was over 50 years old. It was that pink color that I'm sure was in style when it was installed. And and it wasn't just pink tile on the floor. It was pink tile on the walls in the shower, pink walls uh, all the way around the bathroom. It was pink tile on top of the cabinet. I mean, it just looked like pink had vomited in our bathroom. And so because of what that looked like and the fact that it was now our house and it was no longer just a rental, so to speak, Uh, we decided that we were going to remodel it, and so we were going to gut it. We were going to get rid of all the pink in that little bathroom. And so I remember what I had to do first. I had to take the toilet out because that also was pink. I failed to mention that, but that also was pink. And so I disconnected everything and took the toilet out of the bathroom, put it on the front porch, and I'm sure we looked classy there for a while. But nonetheless, it was sitting on the front porch, and, and then it came time to knock out the built-in cabinet and the sink area. And so I had a sledgehammer and I was just getting busy with that and just tearing things up and, and pieces of tile were flying. And once I got rid of that and, and got that hauled off and that was out on the front porch, then it became time to start getting the pink off the walls and in the showers. And again, I'm just busy. I only know one speed on something like that. Just get after it. Just start hitting it with the hammer. And, and if it makes a mess, so be it. We'll clean it up later. So that was my approach to that remodel project of the bathroom. Now here is what I never considered and here is what never got my attention until it was too late. And that is when all the chunks of the tile and the sheetrock were flying and everything was just being scattered all over the place because of my approach, I didn't realize that scraps and pieces of tile and sheetrock were making their way down the sewer part of the the pipe in the floor where of course the toilet would be connected And then something else I certainly didn't realize was this, is that enough of it was going down the sewer line that our sewer line eventually got completely clogged up. And so what that did was it made it impossible for any other drain in our house to drain. And so Susie turned on water in the kitchen and it started backing up in the kitchen. If the girls got in the shower in the front bathroom, it began backing up there. And so what did I get to do? I got to get a snake and I got to work on it and work on it and work on it and get the junk out. And what I didn't realize until after all of this was done was that God had allowed a piece of tile to get wedged in the sewer line just perfectly to where it served as kind of a flap. And so what would happen is is I would snake it out and apparently I would get that piece of tile to to go up to where we would have good flow and then then God in his grace would let that piece of tile go back down and just plug it all up again. And so I got to snake it out again and 
Apparently it'd go up and everything would flow for a while and then it would fall back down. And, and I don't know how many times I enjoyed the process of snaking out that sewer line before it eventually broke free that one piece of tile and it was actually able to drain like it was supposed to. Now I tell you that story to say this, that in the midst of that project, I learned a very painful but valuable lesson. Buddy, anytime you do work around an open sewer line, you put something over that hole, no matter how, how minor you may think the project is. So it was a painful lesson, but a very valuable lesson. Now this evening, maybe your story would be different than mine. Maybe you don't have a remodel story like that, but let me ask you, how many of you have, have at some point in your life learned a painful but valuable lesson? It's happened to all of us, hasn't it? It's something that we wouldn't have designed for ourselves. It's something that we wouldn't have said, man, I, I probably ought to learn that lesson. And, and so you, you tried to do something to make that happen. But every one of us, things have happened, events have unfolded in such a way that we learned a lesson that we'd say, hmm, that one hurt, but I'm going to learn from it, and I'll not repeat it again, God willing. We've all been down that road. Now, this evening, as we hold on to that, I want to remind us of just a couple of things that we need to understand by way of context for tonight's sermon. I want to remind us, first and foremost, and we all know this, but we may not be thinking about it, I want to remind us that the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he offended the wrong people, he upset the wrong people, and so that's what landed him in prison. And as the prison system worked in their day, again, we need to know this, is that a, a prisoner would normally have two hearings on their behalf. The first hearing would consist of this, a formal presentation of what the charges were. Okay, so kind of like in our system, our legal system, it would be something like this where the, the person who was the accused would stand before the governing body and the charges would be made from an official standpoint and then at some later time, at some later date, there would be a second hearing where the facts would be reviewed. Of course, guilt or innocence would be determined. And if there was guilt determined on behalf of the individual, the sentencing would then take place. So again, we're familiar with that kind of system in our culture, but that's the system that was also in place in the Roman culture some 2,000 years ago. So this is where Paul is at in prison with a governing system such as this. But something else we need to keep in mind by way of context is this, that in Rome during this time, it was not a friendly environment for any Christian, not just high-profile Christians like the Apostle Paul. I was reminded as I studied this week that it was in Rome that Christians would be carried into the Colosseums and they would be torn to death and, and just mauled to death by wild animals 
in the presence of hundreds of thousands of people who would watch this for entertainment. So if you were a Christian in their day, that was something that you risked happening to you, you being taken captive and you being placed in a coliseum and you being ripped apart by wild animals. Something else that I was reminded of, and some of you have probably heard this, that it was not uncommon for Christians in their day to be dipped in tar and then to be lit to serve as candles in the garden of Nero in his palace. So so think about being a Christian and that being a a potential end for your life, you being taken captive and then you being dipped in some kind of a tar and then you being lit alive to serve as a a torch or a candle or, or some kind of lighting device for an emperor like Nero who had a twisted, distorted, evil, wicked way of thinking. Think about this. You didn't just casually identify as a Christian in their day. It wasn't just the cool thing to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. No, if you were a follower of Christ in these days in Rome, you had a level of commitment that was superior to most levels of commitment we see these days. So this is what Paul was living in. This is what other believers were living in. And and, and this was not an easy time to be a person of the Christian faith. Now, why am I mentioning all that? Well, let's look in verse number 16 tonight. In verse number 16, here is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying this, that in the midst of his first hearing, that initial hearing where the charges would have been brought in a formal setting, he said that there was not one person who stood with him, that every one of them had forsook him, and had abandoned him. Now, I want us to think about this from both perspectives. I want us to think about the Apostle Paul, and I want us to think about the believers in Rome that Paul knew existed. Paul had ministered to these believers in Rome. He knew them by name. Think about this. Whenever Paul went for the formal hearing where the charges would be brought, the believers in Rome collectively entirely, unanimously decided we're not going to this hearing. Now, this is speculation of sorts, but this is what some authors suggest, that because Paul was a high-profile individual, that this would have been like a courtroom setting today where it involves high-profile people, that the courtroom would have been packed with observers for different reasons. So think about this. If that's the case where the courtroom is packed and there are people there for all different reasons, all different agendas, wanting to see what was going on, you can kind of understand with the context of their culture why Christians decided to opt out of that hearing. Because they could have been guilty by association. 
If a believer had been there in the midst of that hearing and they said something like this, hey, listen, I want to challenge these charges. I want to defend the Apostle Paul. I, I, I want to say something in his defense. That could have led to them being persecuted and killed themselves. So these are normal people with normal desires and normal fears and, and normal struggles. I, I think we should be careful if there's any level of criticism in our mind toward them. I think we should be careful because I don't know how quickly I would have signed up to run defend him. So that's one perspective to consider it from. But consider it from the perspective of the Apostle Paul. Have you ever been in a setting where you were just kind of looking for a friendly face? Here's the Apostle Paul walking into the courtroom setting, and there's not one person who is present for that hearing. If you're the Apostle Paul, wouldn't you have to admit that that probably stung a little bit? I've ministered to these people. I've invested in these people. I have risked my life for these people. I have done so much for these people. And not one could show up on my behalf. That had to have stung just a little. But if you notice what Paul said in verse number 17, he said this, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by or through me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, now think about this. As Paul is conveying these thoughts to Timothy, as of this moment, obviously, he had been delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So it's not like the situation was great, but it was certainly better than what it could have been. And so here is Paul saying that up to this point, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. But more importantly, what I want us to give attention to is this, is that after he says that no man stood with him and that all forsook him, which also appears to have been the very first time that Paul ever found himself in a situation like that, he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. What does it mean whenever Paul says that the Lord stood with him? Well, it means exactly what we would think it means. It means that the Lord stood beside him almost in the place or as in the place of the one who did not. It's almost like Paul would say something like this, that in the midst of this setting, in the midst of this hearing where not one person had showed up on his behalf, that he so sensed the presence of the Lord in his life that it was as though God was standing with him when no one else did. He could sense the presence of God in that moment in his life. But not only did he say that the Lord stood with him, he says the Lord strengthened him. What does it mean to strengthen it means to empower or to make bold. To empower or to make bold. Now, now again, think about this. 
Paul is a human just like you and I are, right? He's got all the same fears. He's got all the same emotions that we would have. To go into a setting like this could be a bit overwhelming. And to go into this setting alone would not only sting, it would also be discouraging But as all this is unfolding and as all this is unwrapping in his life, so to speak, he senses the presence of the Lord and a boldness from the Lord that, again, apparently he had not known like this up to this point. What kind of boldness did he experience? He said that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Again, it's suggested that in this initial hearing where the charges would have been brought against Paul formally, that in his defense he was able to say whatever he wanted to say, and it was in this hearing that Paul was able to boldly declare the gospel in front of the governing body. Some think that Nero would have been there himself, again, because of the high-profile nature of this. But for everyone who would have been present that day, Paul said, I was able to declare the gospel with boldness. You know what happened in Paul's life that day? He learned a painful but valuable lesson. Think about this. He learned a painful but valuable lesson. How was it painful? It was painful being rejected by everyone that you thought might have been there for your support. It was painful in knowing what this governing body had the authority to do in you or in your life. But here is what he found by way of a lesson. Again, I hate to keep saying this, but but apparently in, in a new fashion, like he had never known before, what he learned was this, was in that moment, God was all he had, but God was all he needed. I don't have brother so-and-so. I don't have this family. I don't have Mrs. So-and-so who's been such an encouragement all this time. I don't have any of these people. But I've got God. And that's enough. This evening I want us to think about just a couple of thoughts and we'll wrap this up in just a moment. I want to begin by making two statements that I believe are relatively safe to make. Here's the first statement that I want us to consider that I think is relatively safe to say. And that is not one of us have ever been in a situation like the Apostle Paul where our faith was potentially costing us what it was costing the Apostle Paul. You and I know nothing of standing in a courtroom situation with our life in the balance 
because of our faith. So that's the first statement that I think is safe to say. And here's the second statement that I think is safe to say. That I have yet to meet a believer who has been completely forsaken by every individual in their life. Now that being true, let me just ask you this. Have you, like others, though you were not alone in the midst of an affliction, have you felt like you were alone? You say, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, well, th- this is how I would describe it. And again, maybe you can or can't relate to this. But maybe you've been going through something and your spouse is trying to be supportive of you. That friend is trying to be supportive of you. That church family member is trying to be supportive of you. But, but there's nothing in that situation that they can do for you. They can't change this. They can't change that. They can't alter this. They, they, they can't budge and move this and, and change the situation. If you've ever been in a situation like this, Here is what it sometimes feels like, that even though you're not alone, you're still alone. You're still wrestling with your thoughts. You're still wrestling with your emotions. You're still wrestling with your feelings. You've got all this going on and taking place in your mind. And and, uh, I know they care, but because they can't do anything about it, I just feel so alone. It's a tough situation for people to be in. It's not a situation that anyone would design for themselves. But you know what believers have experienced an untold number of times? That the Lord stood with them and strengthened them. Think about the number of Christians who have been in those situations where they weren't alone, but they still felt alone. Here is what God in His grace and mercy and goodness did. He made His presence so real in their life that though they were not alone really at all, God just reconfirmed to them, listen, I'm with you each step of the way, and God strengthened them for that season of life they found themselves in. That's what God has done for an untold number of believers going through circumstances that seemed unbearable at the time. So what did they learn in those moments? They learned a painful but very valuable lesson. That God may be all I have, but God is all I need. Untold numbers of believers have learned that lesson. And I think you probably know where this is headed. But if we've walked with the Lord and taken it serious, 
If we've walked with the Lord very long, as I've already said, we've had those moments where we still felt alone, no matter who was trying to show us support. Isn't it amazing how in those moments God came beside us and made it clear, I'm with you. And has he not in our own personal lives strengthened us? The nights you went to bed and you thought, I don't even want to wake up in the morning. The nights you woke up, or the mornings that you woke up and you thought, I don't even want to get out of bed. <laughs> I'm just sick of this. I'm ready for this to come to an end. <sighs> How many times has God strengthened us? We could call that a painful lesson. But is there a lesson more valuable than this? To be taught that if God is all we have, then God is all we need. Just want to remind you what you already know. When you go through those moments that you still feel all alone, you're not. God is with you. And he is strengthening you, whether you realize it or not. You're not alone. It's a wonderful lesson, though painful at times. If you've appreciated this message from Kyle Olsfeld of Grace Baptist Church, let us know by contacting us on our website at gbcpampa.com or on our Facebook page, Grace Baptist Church, Pampa, Texas.